3: Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm, Super Talk TV, on your SuperTalk Mississippi radio stations. Thanks for joining us. Alongside Michael Borkey and Brian Haydad, I'm Richard Cross. If you want to be a part of the conversation, we would love to hear from you on the C Spire text line at 601 879 Four three nine five. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from C Spire Business, backed by world-class IT experts who live right here in C Spire country. Check them out online at com slash business. Coming to you, as always, from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort It's the home of the sportsbook at the Golden Moon Casino. If last night you had a ticket from the sportsbook, on either Ole Miss or Southern Miss, you now have a um, a coaster. You have something on which you can set a drink. You're not cashing it. You can get a refund if you had to put money down in advance to make your play. But a no contest last night, I am glad to tell you that the, um, the floor in the studio where I am and where Michael Borky is and where Brian Haydad is, It is firm. We have no carpet pieces that are sliding out of the way as we walk in. It is all good. We are on stable ground as we begin Sports Talk Mississippi this afternoon. uh, Hold on, hold
4: on. Before we continue, I think this conversation needs a little bit of theme music.
3: Slide at the ballpark last night in the infield trying to make hard turns at first or third, it was an issue. And despite what maybe some social media platforms and people want you to believe, it wasn't an issue for just one team. I don't think that there was a team that was trying to get out of playing the final five innings of, ga- of the game because they trailed by one in the fourth. I-, I don't think that was the case. What a mess last
4: night. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Look, here's the deal. Because uh, I had a little bit of time last night. I, I was I put the little guy down, and I was frustrated because we had an accident, and he's too smart to have those now, and he had one, and we- I finally got him down and I, I was on Twitter, and, and the stuff that. people... Hey, don't were, worry about it, man. Hey, Dad had an accident like three days ago. It's okay. <laughs> but um, so I had, I got to see all. Of the... T-
3: <laughs> sorry. I don't even know. You know why I thought that was so funny. Hey, that thinks
4: it's funny.
2: That's that's funny. <laughs> um,
4: but but I saw all all of the stuff that you're talking about, the irrational discourse. Of the internet. But let's play this out for a second. So regardless of the fact that it was not a game at Swayze Field and and not a game in which Ole Miss was the home team, regardless of the fact that it was a Sunbelt umpiring crew, regardless of the fact that unless, Richard, you understand it differently, there was a conversation had earlier in the game with both dugouts Mm -hmm. from the umpire crew saying, hey, I don't like what I see here. This isn't good, and we're going to convene soon and figure out if we should keep playing. Regardless of that conversation happening, regardless of multiple players slipping when trying to round first or third base, regardless of the fact that an Ole Miss pitcher took up, what, two? I mean, squares of not-embedded sod when he was trying to run to field a bunt, which could have really hurt himself on that, regardless of what happened with Louisiana Tech and and what Lane Burrow said and the outcome of that game, regardless of your allegiance as a fan, every take that you could have about that went out the window when Scott Berry, last night, said what he said after the game. The field's not playable. It is not worth continuing this game. It was going to get bad. We mutually agreed to end it right when we did that field is not safe for play. It was unplayable. We're not going to play this game anymore. Richard, you know Scott Barry a lot better than I do. But from what I understand about him, on top of the fact that he's all class, like the way he conducted, compare the way he conducted himself last night to the way Lane Burroughs conducted himself after that. Scott Barry's all class. But one thing he's not is a chump. He's not a wuss. If Scott Barry felt like his team was wronged last night, we would know. He would have let people know. There's no way that he would have just laid down and, and, and taken being wronged unless he agreed with the decision that was made. So, all this stuff that was said last night, unless you're calling Scott Berry soft, unless you think that Scott Berry was also complicit in the aiding of Ole Miss being scared of a team that they beat 15 to nothing in a super regional on the road last year. Regardless of all of that, Scott Berry ended any take that you could have by saying what he said last night after the game. Did. What did Scott Berry
3: say after the game last night? Well, here's some of it.
4: Talking to Bianco, he said, if you
1: guys think of the it's to see that, yeah, it's probably not going to happen tonight. Yeah, I mean, you could tell that as the game went along and. and you know, rounding there at first base, and then the, it, the they were blowing out over there, blew out a little bit here at, at third, and uh, but the last play there when Etzel dropped the bunt, their pitcher tried to get off the field and he pushed about two or three uh, pieces of sod out. It was pretty evident that this thing could get pretty bad. We both have a lot of season left and certainly don't need to, to get somebody hurt uh, because of that.
3: So that was Scott Berry after last night's game being interviewed by local media. I got to tell you, I always am amazed when we watch a Super Bowl or a a national championship game in particular. If you have a national championship game on a field that is also an NFL field, or also has had a bowl game or multiple bowl games where they come in and they tear out the sod and they replace it, and like three days later they play on it. And sometimes they have field positions, but they have field condition issues. But by and large, those fields hold up. I don't know how they do that. I don't know if they've got like the world's biggest sewing machine that I've just never seen before where they – sow the grass into place, but if you've ever put sod down in your yard, I don't know if you guys have done that, whether you've sodded an entire yard or helped somebody else do it, and it doesn't really matter whether it's rolls or squares or whatever. You you know that, okay, if the sod is dry and you've got a dry surface when you put it in, you can kind of put it in place and it'll basically stay. But once it gets wet, that stuff starts sliding all over the place, and you just want to stay off of it for a couple of weeks. So apparently, they sodded the field a week or so ago. It's been really wet in the Jackson metro area for the last month, and so and you haven't and had like spots a, too. yeah, you haven't had a ton of sunshine and warm weather to really promote that root growth where it'll. Dig down into the soil and take root and stay put. And so you had a mess last night.
4: Yeah, there was. And, a, in hindsight, they probably wish they hadn't tweeted it, but two weeks ago they they did share a picture of uh, the field being prepped for sod to be laid down just, yeah. just two weeks ago. Well, um, and look, a week from Friday night, the Mississippi
3: Braves play their season opener at home against the, uh, the Biloxi Shuckers we got a lot of work to do between now and then. A lot of work to do between now and then. Old Miss and Mississippi State are supposed to play on that field in, what, about a month? Maybe a hair under a month? Which should be plenty of time for the grass to grow in. But that's a tough look last night for the stadium, to some degree for the Braves organization, and it's frustrating. Right? It's frustrating for the teams who traveled on a weekday, either up from Hattiesburg or down from Oxford, on a bus, whole do, deal. It's an expensive thing. And then it's really frustrating for the fans. As college baseball goes, that's a pretty expensive ticket. Ticket prices that range from, what, $25 to $75 for the game. And if you happen to be one of the people that buys a suite for that game, you've got a whole lot more invested in that. And... For your trouble, the Mississippi Braves have kindly offered to trade the ticket that you bought last night for a couple of Mississippi Braves tickets down the line at a time that is convenient for you. That, by the way, has not set well with the fans who did make the trip. We'll talk more about this. What does this mean going forward for baseball in the in and around the capital city? We'll get to that next. Sports Talk Mississippi, Pearl River Resort Studios, with you on a Wednesday.
0: This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi, right here on Supertalk.fm, the Supertalk Mississippi app, and always live on your local Supertalk Mississippi radio station.
3: I mentioned before the break that uh, there was some frustration among some fans who, uh, whose financial recourse for a pretty significant outlay last night was that they could exchange. One ticket from last night's game for two Mississippi Braves tickets at a future date. Uh, Not a lot of people real happy about that. I may have to edit some of these responses like this one from Mike. He says, forget that. I want my money back. I'm not driving five hours to watch a team I care nothing about.
4: talking about the round trip. Yeah. I mean that's a that's a bad decision, man. Look, I I love going yeah. to those games. I'm excited to take my son to those games. I mean they start next weekend. I I'm, I'm going to take him. I think Saturday is the plan. I can't wait. I love going there. Don't get me wrong. It's yeah. not the same.
3: Um Tyler and Foxworth said I paid 250 bucks for me, my son and two friends to go to the game. What a joke. Two Mississippi Braves tickets. And that's not nobody's taking a shot at the Mississippi Braves. No, you were and going just, to watch college matter. baseball, an event.
2: When an event gets canceled, you refund the the price of the the ticket. That that's just how it's always worked in life. I, I'm I'm really surprised, and I I and I won't be surprised if they have to come back and say, okay, we're going to offer free refunds because they they've got to be their phones are got to be ringing off the hook today with people just incensed
3: at them. Yeah. No, Mike says he paid $75 for, for his seat. He had one down close, front row seat for Mike. Somebody says, I made the trip feeling cheated on this deal. You should. Um. Hunter suggests that uh, perhaps they, instead of offering an exchange for Braves tickets, they should at least offer tickets to the Governor's Cup. He said, "Now that wouldn't help Southern Miss fans who don't care about the Governor's Cup, but the Ole Miss fans would rather have that than a Braves ticket. Well Miss—they're selling that. They—they they sell the heck out. They sell eight thousand tickets to the Governor's Cup. Here's the quandary in this thing. I don't know if people know this or not. The teams are guaranteed money to come play in this event, right? Southern Miss gives up a home game. Ole Miss gives up a home game. They rotate a home." It's a home and home every year that they play, but the second game of the year is always in Pearl. Southern Miss plays Mississippi State in Pearl. Ole Miss and Mississippi State play each other in Pearl. It's part of a series of games. And there's a guarantee that goes to the university. Well, the teams are still going to get paid, right? Southern Miss got on a bus. They drove from Hattiesburg to, to Pearl. Ole Miss got on a bus. They drove to. They, they were there to play the game. They are going to be paid the guarantee that they were given. Where does that guarantee come from? Ticket sales. Now, how they work all that out, I don't know. Hey, Dan, here's a question, though. We've been playing college baseball in and around the capital city for a long time, right? Mayor's Trophy game turned into the Governor's Cup, multiple stadiums. There is, without question... And and by the way, once it moved to Pearl, that's when Southern Miss really got involved in kind of playing games there as well. Southern Miss played games in Jackson for years and years. There is – I mean, Jackson metro area is a massive alumni base for all three schools. And so there is value in bringing your product to central Mississippi to make it easy on those fans. It's almost in some ways like a reward for the fans. It's more of a reward for the fans than it is for the teams who have to travel to play in these games. Is there enough value in bringing your product to the fans in central Mississippi? And and this isn't just about a sod issue last night that caused a no contest. It's a bigger conversation. Is there enough value in taking your team to your fans in central Mississippi to justify continuing to do this?
2: I mean, I don't know. You know, I know that this is not the first time there have been complaints just about everything going on there at, at that particular stadium. I know that year in, year out, there's a lot of complaints about concessions, that, you know, if you go to get a beer in the second inning, you might be back in your seat by, seat by the fifth inning. Um, and, of course, the price of the tickets. I mean, that that's not – Mike said $75 for a college baseball ticket. I mean, that that's expensive. Yeah. Um. And when you think that, you know, every game is televised. I mean, when back in those days, if you lived in central Mississippi and you didn't want to go up to Starkville or Oxford, the, the the mayor's trophy was the only chance you really had to, you know, actually see your team play. Now every game is televised. I can just watch them whenever I want. And it's just, you know, it's just it's easier to get to Starkville now than it was twenty years ago. It's easier to get to Oxford now than it was twenty years ago. They finally finished Highway forty nine, so it's easier to get to Hattiesburg than it ever was. <laughs> I mean so the, to answer your question, I don't know that there is to be honest with you. You know, and I, and I have some of the same questions about state. You know, they play a basketball game every year at the Mississippi Coliseum, and I'm just like, that is an outdated and and kind of you know archaic arena. Why why do you continue to do that? You're you're it's it's not that big a deal to come to Starkville anymore to me.
3: Yeah, there have been a lot of people that have thrown out the idea of we'll go, pl- we'll go play a game in Biloxi play on the coast and I suppose there's something to that I mean Mississippi State certainly has had some success playing a couple of midweek games on the coast in recent years it's a long way though now you got a bunch of Mississippi State fans Ole Miss fans Southern Miss fans on the coast that don't make it to Oxford or Starkville as often as they would like because it's a long trip so Maybe the coast piece of it is a debate for another day. Here's, here's what I'm curious about, though, specifically as it pertains to Ole Miss and Mississippi State. And I'm curious what you think about this on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. I don't know, Borky. Maybe we can make a poll out of this as well.
4: Well, Elon's about to ruin polls for everybody, so we got to get him in while we can. Well, we'll have
3: write-in polls going forward. Yep.
4: So, question
3: is this. Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Obviously, you rotate where the series, the weekend series, the conference series is played each year, and you play the midweek game in Jackson. Pearl. Would fans be better served if, and let's just use this year as an example, Mississippi State hosts Ole Miss on Super Bulldog weekend. Would fans be better served if on the first Tuesday night or the last Tuesday night in April, the fourth game of the year was played in Oxford? So Tuesday night, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Swayze Field, a couple of weeks after you've played a three-game series in Starkville. Or you move it around on the schedule, whatever. I'm just using last Tuesday in April as an example. And then next year when Ole Miss hosts the three-game regular season conference series Play a Tuesday night midweek game in Starkville, Ole Miss Mississippi State. Would that make more sense at this point than I mean, playing a game in, in central Mississippi?
2: I'm not mad at that that idea. I think it's I think it's it's doable. And I think you could just I mean, if you're USM and Ole Miss, who, you know, they play twice a year, state only plays USM the one time. I mean, I guess you could alternate that game every other year for State and then for Ole Miss, you know, you could do two a year or you could split them. You could have a game where Ole Miss goes to Hattiesburg and, and then USM comes to Oxford. I, mean, I, had, I had the idea earlier of maybe like early in the season, you know, down in Biloxi you have a, a little round robin and you have, you know, State and Ole Miss and Southern and they all play each other Fridays, you know, State-Ole Miss on Friday, Ole Miss-Southern on Saturday, State-Southern on, on on Sunday. And you make a big weekend out of it. I mean, that would be a huge thing. I think people would go to that. So you got a lot of options, and and that's the thing. You know that if you're you're running Trustmark Park and you're there in Pearl, you got to realize there are options out there, and then there you know there are ways to get around having to play at a facility that you don't feel is up to your standards.
3: Yeah, and it's really been cool. I, I just, I mean, after the oldest Miss Southern Miss game was no longer a thing last night, I flipped on SEC Network. And Texas and a were playing each other in a midweek game at Bluebell Park in College Station, and there were 8,000 people there. And it looked awesome. And I just thought, hey, you're going to play the three-game series. If there's a fourth game, what if you just rotated it between campuses?
4: Hmm.
3: I mean, t- 10,000 on a Tuesday night in Starkville would be cool. And that's what you would have. Yeah. 10,000. At Swayze on a Tuesday night in April would be really cool.
4: Hmm. Um, that See only Square solves hmm? that only solves the Ole Miss and State game though. It's a good well, that's idea. That's what
3: Heydad was saying a second ago. Right. So Ole Miss and Southern play each other twice. Just play it a Tuesday, Wednesday in Hattiesburg one year. Tuesday, Wednesday
4: in Oxford the next year. Or split the two games. Play a Tuesday in Oxford and a Tuesday in Hattiesburg. I do like the throwing the bone to the fans that aren't nearby thing, though. I, I would like for that to continue. But with what what happened last night, I don't know if the present venue is an ideal spot anymore. But and, and look, in fairness, and I'm sorry for interrupting, that's been a good facility. And it's it's provided
3: a really cool atmosphere with great crowds for these games for a long time. Just last night was a bad look. I'm sorry for interrupting you, boy. And the crowd wasn't good either. No. No, it wasn't. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at Supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. We'll be right back.
0: Mississippi.
2: What is going on here?
0: Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State.
5: Well, it's about time.
0: Right here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
3: A lot of messages from you on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395 if you want to be a part of the conversation. Here's one. I live on the Florida Gulf Coast, so I love Mississippi State baseball games in Biloxi. So there's a vote for State to continue to play games on the Gulf Coast. Uh, somebody else says, yes, please, do an early season tournament in Biloxi with four teams, Ole Miss State, Southern Miss, and then... South Alabama or LSU or someone along those lines, they suggest. Um, I would rather go to Oxford or Starkville to watch these teams play than Jackson, and Jackson is closer to me than either place. Somebody suggests there's uh, more incentive to go to a game on the coast as opposed to Jackson.
4: We do often hear from our people on the coast. I've got a couple friends that live down there, too, and uh, the, for what I mean, it's the distance that's the easy answer, but they do feel kind of disconnected uh, from the school, and because they're very far away. I mean, Biloxi, Ocean Springs, past Christiane, all that are, are closer to Baton Rouge than they are Oxford and Starkville. But there are a ton of Ole Miss and State fans down there, yeah, that just don't get to see their team because it's really far away. I, I, I think throwing them a bone, uh, aside from like the coach's speaking tour would be a lucrative idea. could be. We we saw the crowds a couple weeks ago. It's a state fan base that's not real thrilled with the current state of their baseball program, but they put butts in seats when they played a couple midweek games down there.
3: I think Ole Miss has only played one game in Biloxi in the new stadium there. A few years ago, midweek game. Um Hunter says the idea of playing the games on campus is fine Jackson is fine Either way would be okay with me I've enjoyed my trips to Pearl But obviously I love home games Says I'm more worried about the product on the field Than where they play It's unacceptable for State to be this bad Ole Miss isn't great either When does the seat get hot for these coaches? So Hunter going an entirely different direction with that Um and then somebody said, no, Central Mississippi wants to see the Bulldogs
4: and the Rebels. I believe that, and I know they do. It's just what happened last night is unacceptable. It, you, you can't have that happen. I add, again, it's so funny the difference in tone from our text line versus social media last night. It's, it's incredible. Social media is a a horrible mistake in hindsight, but you can't have that. Could you imagine if when T.J. McCants was rounding third, that slip was a little bit further, and he tore a ligament in his ankle and he was out for a few weeks? That's what we're talking about here. What happened that that ended the game, that wasn't just a pitcher slipping. That was the field. That that was like, my, my son loves to put on socks and run on our hardwood and like hockey stop. He loves that. But one time, it's very risky business of him. Uh, oh, I know he loves it, it. Can be yes. But there was one time where he stepped on uh, he hockey stopped on the corner of our rug in the living room, and guess what? That rug did went right out under his feet, and he fell, and he hit just uh, on top of his eye, and he was he cried, poor guy. But that's what happened to the pitcher last night. He hockey stopped on a rug, and it just right out from under him. That wasn't him slipping. He wasn't stumbling. He wasn't falling. The grass went uh, a square
3: of sod came up. We missed up. an opportunity. We just missed an opportunity, Borky. There was a music bed right there. I feel the earth move under
4: my hey, foot. we should have been oh, And oh. I know that's not typical. You know, it that's not how it usually goes. But when you replace turf a week before a game has to be played and it ends up like that, then High-level college – I mean, no level of athletes should have to play on something like that, but especially high-level college baseball. They are are lucky that somebody didn't really hurt themselves last night. They are really – Scott Berry said it best. It was was getting close to to being really ugly if they'd have kept playing that game.
3: And look, I mean, if we're just going to be real about this thing, it's great for fans – It's great for fans in the central part of the state or in the southern part of the state if you're talking about playing in Biloxi. But this does way more for Jackson Metro or the coast than it does for the schools. And so it's got to be worthwhile for the schools to engage in this. And financially, it has been worthwhile. We're kind of talking about two different things, but when the Mayor's Trophy started, like, 40 years ago, college baseball wasn't then what it is today. Duty Noble was not, I mean, you couldn't have imagined what Duty Noble would look like in 2023 when the Mayor's Cup began. Mayor's Trophy game. You couldn't have imagined what Swayze would look like today, or for that matter, what Pete Taylor Park looks like today when these games were begun in Jackson. So we continue to do them because they've been done and they're fun and there's some history there and all those things. But it has to be rewarding for the schools. It's got to be as good an experience, or at least close to as good an experience, as they have in their home ballpark to go on the road for a neutral site right I mean Clemson South Carolina we've talked a lot about the way they do their three game deal one game in clemson one game in columbia and then they play a game at a minor league park in greenville it's a great setup floor
4: field really nice setup nice name drop i'm sh- i mean just nobody knows that you're welcome it's impressive um
3: Play games in downtown Charlotte at the Minor League Park there. Play games at the Durham Bulls' home park in North Carolina.
2: Isn't isn't the simpler answer to all of this though that the Braves and 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 the the people who own Trustmark Park need to put some money into into you know bringing that park a little further along? That feels like the easier solution yeah. than trying to reschedule everything.
3: Well, and the bot, look, I'm not going to tell how other people how to spend their money because I do not know what the financial arrangement is. I don't know who owns that stadium. I don't know what percentage of tax revenue goes into maintenance. I don't know if the Braves themselves put money into it. My guess would be no. You know, whatever the local ownership group is, I, I don't know exactly what the setup is. Somebody brought up, surely for an event like this, there is event insurance to cover a rainout. I can't play. A something happens. I don't know how you can put an event like that on without covering your own rear end with an insurance policy.
2: That's a good point too. What would happen if it just poured down rain last night and you couldn't play the game? Would they have done the same thing where you get two Braves tickets and you hadn't seen any baseball? I mean that's.
3: I don't know the answer to that. It's doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know the answer to that.
4: Yeah, it feels like I, the whole "we're not going to refund you" is like deflecting blame away from the venue being why the game couldn't continue. And again, it, that, that wasn't Mike Bianco's decision. He wasn't afraid of a one-run game in the fourth. That was the umpires in the second inning saying whoa, this guys, this doesn't look good.
3: Yeah, so they first called the coaches together in the second inning, and then they did it again in the fourth inning and ultimately made the decision. But you're right. It wasn't Mike Bianco's decision. It wasn't Scott Barry's decision. Both head coaches were supportive of the decision. But once the game begins, it is the job of the, the umpiring crew then. They're the ones that have to make a call. It's the umpires who pull teams off the field for lightning. It's the umpires who decide when a game can't continue, if it's raining, and a tarp needs to go on the field. Once the game begins, game management becomes the responsibility of the umpiring crew. And so they're the ones that that made the call. Somebody said it's called force majeure. It's on almost every ticket that you buy to any sporting event. It basically means uh, that an act of God or unforeseeable incident that prevents the game from going forward. Yeah, that's not force majeure, actually. And and I'm not trying to be like, well, actually, guy, unplayable field conditions are not force majeure. A tornado, a hurricane, straight-line winds, a torrential downpour, those are force majeure things. A faulty sodding operation is not force majeure. That's human error.
4: Yeah. And we did get a couple people ask, and it's a fair question, why did they start the game at all if the, if the field was so bad? Uh, Scott Barry explained it. He said, basically, you only take in you, – you do pregame warm-ups on the dirt. That they could kind of see that something looked off in pregame, but because you don't do your – like he even said the ball was bouncing differently on the grass, but they, they didn't realize how bad it was until they actually started playing the game because in pregame warmups. You don't play on the grass or around the bases like you do in the actual game. And they realized almost right away something's not right here, but they didn't realize that until after the game began. And look, it's the infield
3: playing surface that was redone. It wasn't the outfield. And so if you think about batting practice now, it works, they put a cover over half the infield between the home plate and pitcher's mound so you're not on top of the grass. You're really not on top of the grass on the infield at all. It's just It just happened. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's
0: go, let's go, let's go. This is your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: the break, I've been a part, I guess, in just about every way you can be, of a bunch of these games that have been played in Pearl and in Jackson before that at, at Smithville Stadium. And the bottom line is they're fun, right? It's you know you, you play a game in Oxford between Ole Miss and Mississippi State, and it's a ninety-five percent Ole Miss crowd. You play a game in Starkville, it's 95% Mississippi State. You go to Hattiesburg, it's a you know overwhelming majority, 95% Southern Miss Crowd. And they're fun when it's more equally divided, right? It's just everybody kind of comes together and has a good time on a Tuesday night in the ballpark. Smith Wills was fun when the radio booth was awful. Like it was a 50-50 shot that there were going to actually be two chairs in the radio booth. And the lights were so bad you couldn't necessarily track a fly ball from sitting in the stands. And it was just spilling over with people. It was still fun. Pearl, same way. I've seen 8,000 people in the stands for those. They're incredible. But it's got to be worth it for the teams in the long run as well. Keith in Water Valley says Bianco said on the radio last night the reason they played on Tuesday was in case there was rain. They could then make it up on a Wednesday. But they were not going to be able to play on the field tonight. They kind of built it in that way for both the Ole Miss-Southern game and the Ole Miss-Mississippi State game when it's played there as well. So, again, not just knocking on games played in Central Mississippi because they're a lot of fun. And they have been for a really long time. How about the fact that double-A baseball is where your top prospects go? A lot of times you send your best prospects to double-A as opposed to triple-A. So the guys that the Braves think might be making the jump to the big leagues this year could very well be beginning their season in Pearl.
4: In a week. A week 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 in 48 hours. Yep. Yeah, there's supposed to be a lot of out. rain next week. Yeah, you hope they hope they're able to. Um,
3: we also got a message that said, "Look, this happened one time. It's not a big deal. Move on." I, I don't know that he said move on, but the idea was the, the. I think the point of the the text was you're looking for a solution to a problem that's not really a problem. Yeah,
4: pretty big deal. That's a problem, man. Especially when you, there are alternatives, like you could play the game in home ballparks instead, or in a different one. That that's kind of the point. Is that it's not like that happened at Swayze or at Duty Noble or at the Pete. Bro.
3: I love what Scott Barry said after the fact. He's like another good reason for synthetic turf. And then he kind of chuckled after he said it. They love the artificial playing surface Scott Berry does in uh, in Hattiesburg. It's been really good to them. And it saved them some games. Dan in Hattiesburg says, I was really upset when I was listening to the game on the radio. And then I viewed it on ESPN Plus, and I wasn't quite as upset.
4: Uh, yeah, it, between Scott Berry's quotes and then the, the video, because uh, what I've what I've noticed and learned about people's behavior online is that you can post a short video, and people will comment without actually watching it. I mean, I notice that on ours all the time. Hey, Dad, and I were joking about how we know Hugh Freeze is going to fail at Auburn because John Cohen makes really bad first hires, but his second hires are awesome. Uh, just you know, joking, and all the replies were. You guys are just Hugh Freeze haters. It's like it was a minute and twenty second long video. It was about John Cohen. We were joking and people same thing with because Old Miss Baseball put the video out last night. Of a, really exactly with the, the straw that broke the camel's back in canceling that game it was a minute long video. You don't see the, the turf monster grab onto the leg of an old Miss player until about fifty seconds into the video. Nobody watched that long. Nobody. Hmm. Nobody. Because all they saw was just the original camera angle, which wasn't a great one, and you couldn't really see anything. And everybody was like, oh, they only tried to cancel the game because you couldn't feel the butt. because they didn't watch 50 seconds of video to see that, okay, that, that guy didn't slip. That was a field you can't play on any further. So I cut the seven seconds of here's the issue, and then suddenly all that went away. People stopped. Saying that it was wrong. Yeah.
3: Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at Supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. We are glad to be with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Got a fun interview coming up for you a little bit later in the four o'clock hour. And a little bit later this evening, at oh, around about six o'clock, there is a uh, another radio program right here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's called Thunder and Lightning on the Radio. Some guy. We'll uh, sit behind a microphone and talk about Mississippi State for an hour. If that's your thing, you should check it out. Some jabroni. Some jabroni. Uh, Thunder and lightning on the radio with Brian Haydad coming up after us tonight at 6 o'clock.
2: And he'll be joined by Mississippi State defensive coordinator Matt Brock at 620.
3: There you go. Sports Talk Mississippi, hour number two, coming up.
0: Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports. Sports Talk Mississippi. You know I love sports. On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Sometimes you read stories and you immediately have questions. I have one of those for you in just a moment. First, I'll tell you that you're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi, we're coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. And that's where we will be on Friday for the Reopening of the Dancing Rabbit Inn—that's the hotel right there next to the golf course after some upgrades and some remodeling. There, reopening of the clubhouse at Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and also uh, the reopening of the Azaleas Golf Course, where they've done a lot of work on the you know, the bunkers, really improving those and getting them ready for a great spring golf season. You can book your tee time or plan your trip online at DancingRabbitGolf.com.
2: Do I get to have like the honorary first shank off the tee? Uh no. I promise I'll shank it.
3: I believe you. I believe yeah, you. We you should we sure we, we we can put you back on the driving range though. We've done that before. Ooh I
0: don't know how that would go. We'll I think you
3: should you should start limbering up. You're in better health these days than you were last time we did that anyway.
2: I am. I am
3: may, may get a little better turn, a little better rotation, a little better follow through. Look forward to that. <laughs> We'll see. And, okay. and I, I promised you that you would you would get another dancing rabbit golf visor. That was my
2: my that was my 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 uh, I had to have my demand my contractual demand. And I want a new visor.
3: It was the carrot for you to say yes. I'm in. Yes. Yes, I'm in. Yes. We are we are familiar with a Florida man. Are we familiar with a Louisiana man? Nineteen year old. <laughs> 19-year-old Bryce Tilada and a group of, quote, college-aged males, close quote, were seen by the LSU Police Department around 3 a.m. on Sunday carrying beer outside of Tiger Stadium. When the students were approached by officers. Not the first, won't be the last. Go ahead, though. When the students were approached by officers, all of them fled the scene and were not immediately found by police. Surveillance, surveillance video from Tiger Stadium showed the group of students removing cases of beer from inside the stadium and loading them into the back of a black pickup truck. Officers traced the truck back to the Spruce Hall parking lot, which is a residential community for first-year College of Engineering students. Police ended up finding the owner of Spruce Hall, which happened to be the aforementioned Bryce Tillata, and he confessed to taking the beer. Officers, by the way, received consent to... Search his dorm room and found the missing beer cases inside. Following the search, he admitted to stealing the beer from the stadium. When he was questioned by authorities, and was eventually arrested for one count of simple burglary in relation to the theft. Uh, value of the beer: fifteen hundred dollars. Now, here, so, so again, I say I have questions. That's, that's wholesale. In in
2: stadium prices... That's
3: that's where I was going. I have questions. Are we talking wholesale? Are we talking gas station retail? Or are we talking stadium concession stand prices?
2: In stadium concession stand prices, he only stole two cases of beer. Let's see. Just walked out with two suitcases and
3: called it a day. Let's see here. If we assume $8 a beer... We're talking 187 and a half of them divided by 24 in a case, so about eight cases of beer. Yeah, it's nothing. If we are assuming 75 cents a beer... yeah,
2: if we're going at cost...
3: Yeah, so what? That's about right for, for a case, 24-pack. So, so like we're saying 1,500... Divided by .75, jeez, ah, I can't even do the math. 1,500 divided by .75, that's that's 2,000 beers divided by 24. That That's 83 cases of beer, which I don't think, by the way, would fit in the back of a pickup truck.
2: No, you need a, uh, a, an 18-wheeler, and you need a guy in a Trans Am blocking for him. I've, I've seen that movie.
3: yeah, yeah. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with all that beer? He's thirsty, dummy. <laughs> but that's not the. Only, this is not the only question I have. The the pricing is not the only it's question deep. I have. Yeah, I'm curious if Tiger Stadium had been recently stocked for perhaps an upcoming spring game, or if this has been sitting in an a non-climate-controlled environment since November and the final home game of the regular season.
2: It's one where you got to crack one open and try it, right? Like, okay, let's see if it's any good.
3: Before we go through the process of stealing somewhere between 8 and 83 cases of beer, depending on whose pricing we're talking about, (laughs) let's make sure there's enough juice for the squeeze here and it's not all skunky. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. hopefully that, that beer was still, Man, was still good. Man, when you're
4: 19, skunk beer is still beer.
2: Yeah, but it's, it's still, it's not Man great. Man, in high school, yeah. I mean,
4: uh, um, uh, I know people in high school that... <laughs>
2: <laughs> See, I can say that. Drinking age was 18 in Louisiana. I bought it legally in high school.
4: Yeah, we used yeah to... except for the fact that you did it when you were 15. Uh, I didn't. Uh, A family friend of a friend. So a friends like Uncle uh, owned a... We we called it the country store. It was basically a gas station just kind of out away from town, like 20 minutes outside of town. And all the expired beer he would put out back to be picked up by the trash guys, but he would always put it out the day before. And he would tell us... he would make sure we heard him describing what and where and when it would be without telling us what and where and when it would be, you know? Plausible deniability hmm. and whatnot. And it was always yeah. expired. But that's what we did in, or that's what um, people I, I drank, know did in high school.
2: I drank cheap enough beer in college that I wouldn't have known if it was expired anyway. You know, Beast Light, expired, not expired, who cares?
3: Will and you pour uh, Will, we've talked about before, uh, works at East Carolina, and he says that their football stadium is the hub of all the concessions, and so everything is stored there and then dispersed. Okay, maybe, maybe similar setup.
2: Pick up some steaks while you're in there. Go with all that beer. Come on.
3: Another message, uh, always check the board on date. Hunter says Dude, the beer is fine. Life. Just put it on ice. Uh, perhaps an, another question of relevance here. Does uh, once once young Bryce Tilaada gets out of the clink, surely he's out by now. Um, yeah. Among his friends, does he ever have to actually buy a beer again? Well, he's
2: taking the heat here. Yeah, he's he's that, the fall guy, so he should be good. That's my
3: point. If he's taking the rap, he for should be everybody, good for the rest of his
2: college career. Yeah.
3: As long as these guys maintain friendship.
2: Yes, yeah, and as long as he keeps his mouth shut, always keep your mouth shut and never rat on your friends.
4: What's the statute of limitations on beer theft? Can't be long.
2: well, the Napoleonic Code, the way it works, you never know.
4: you never know
3: you never know um. Somebody uh, Dwayne and Brandon says this is the reason that you should at all times have Mike the Tiger roaming inside the stadium. Uh, not not in that multi million dollar habitat for which they uh that they built for him.
2: Let's let him out at night just to make sure, you know, hey, there's nobody in the in the stadium. Yeah. You imagine you're hauling a couple cases of beer out to the truck, and all of a sudden you look up and that tiger's just staring at you.
3: Hey, Mike, thirsty? Yeah.
2: so when you have to have that loaded steak with the, with the you know, little, yeah. little pepper on it. They love pepper. Hate
3: they cinnamon. hate cinnamon. Uh, Matthew says you could buy it from the back of the local grocery store. It showed up as liquid chicken on the receipt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we get another message that says, uh, I drank... Red, white, and blue through pharmacy school. What is that? PBR? Uh, that red, white, and blue?
4: Could be could be butt heavy. Or mm. or is that a brand? Never heard of the brand. It was beer thirty, and then when they discontinued never. that, it was Natty Light for me. Mm. I've never heard of
2: beer thirty. <laughs> it was. A I've been. I've been. I've said it's beer thirty a few times, but I didn't know that that was a brand.
4: Yeah, it was a 30 pack and it just said Beer 30. You had no idea what it was or where it came from. It was a purple case called Beer 30. Coming
3: up next, Milwaukee's we'll to the Farm best guest line.
2: That's the way to go.
3: Farm Bureau guest line coming up next, Terrell Anderson, who is currently an assistant principal at North Pike High School, but he is formerly the head basketball coach. What's the connection? We'll tell you when we come back.
0: Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports. Sports. On your radio and in the game. Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and SuperTalk TV. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. It's time for us to go to the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. If you have been watching the NCAA men's basketball tournament, you know that Florida Atlantic is quite the story. And If you've really been paying attention, you know that one of the stars on this FAU team is Elijah Martin who is from Summit, Mississippi, and for the year he's averaging 13 points, five rebounds, one and a half assists per game while scoring 43%. What you may not know is that he played at North Pike High School. Terrell Anderson is an assistant principal at North Pike. He was Elijah Martin's head basketball coach. And so, uh, Coach Anderson, we appreciate you spending a few minutes with us this afternoon. What a fun ride this has been watching FAU in the tournament.
5: Oh, man, I'm telling you, it, 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 it's been awesome. And like I told him the other day when I spoke with him on the phone, I'm just glad that that I've been able to, you know, come along for this ride because, you know, we already knew he had it in him. But, man, this, this this is amazing.
3: All right, so so take me back to Elijah Martin as a high school player. What did you see in terms of career trajectory, growth from him as a player from – Kind of going junior high up up through his senior season.
5: Well, man, you know, when I took over, honestly, his junior year, I didn't know anything about Elijah Martin. Um, I was told by one particular person that became Coach Joe Taylor. He's my, he was my assistant coach. That man, we had this kid that could be really good if we just get some, you know, get him out there and get him to working hard. And man, once we his junior year hit, he you know he ended up averaging about thirty points a game for us with eleven rebounds. And we knew we had something special on our hands. Uh, and he pretty much took it from there and, and, and became a dandy dozen his senior year. Uh, played in the Mississippi-Alabama game. He was the MVP of that. And we knew then that his ceiling for us in basketball wasn't even scratch yet. Uh, you know, he played football also. And a lot of people wanted him to play football, of course, because he was a star uh, quarterback for North Park High School. But, man, when you see him go to work on that court, we just knew he had something special in him. And, when he came and asked me, and he decided to go with uh, FAU, you know, yeah, between FAU and Tulane and USM, and it's it's kind of ironic because even Memphis kind of threw their name in there at the last mm-hmm. moment. But he decided to go to FAU, and he's been loving there ever since. And like I told Coach Todd and Coach Dusty May, I was like, look, he hadn't even just focused on one sport yet, and I'm just I don't know how he'll be once he focused on one sport. And man, they call me all the time. Just tell me they're so glad that he was able. They was able to get him, and he's just an amazing kid on and off the court.
3: I was going to ask you about your role in his recruiting process because we know it, it works differently for for different players. For for some. Maybe a recruiting effort is, is handled by the kid themselves. For some, it's a parent or a family member. For some, it's an AAU coach For some, it's a high school coach and, you know, kind of in an advisory role. So what, what do you remember about that process as he was trying to decide where he was going to go to school?
5: Um, well, his, his mom, Tina Martin and Elijah, you know, they, they, they came to me quite often just ask for my opinion on everything because he, he highly respected me. So my opinion mattered to him. And he actually, people don't know this, he actually committed to McNeese State because he was like, I'm going to go to Magnese, They're going to let me play the way I want to play, Coach. And then, Coach, like I say, Coach Todd and Coach Dusty called me at the last minute. And I kind of opened that door back up and I said, hey, what you think about FAUs, man? they they on the beach. You know, they call themselves the Beach Boys. <laughs> They're on the beach. I mean, it's a nice area. And so they talked to him, talked to me, talked to his mom. And he was pretty much sold. And they told him they were going to build a team pretty much around him you know him and golden so and and he was sold and, and he he just liked how they came they approached them how they took me in took his mom in and his whole family so and he just in a little fau and he just law he's a lawyer kid so he, he he stuck with him even when he had did have chances to transfer but he decided to stay there
3: Visiting with Terrell Anderson, he's an assistant principal at North Pike High School, uh, Summit, Mississippi. That's where Elijah Martin uh, is from, or at least that's where he was born in uh, in that part of the state of Mississippi. And he is now headed to the Final Four. You, you've been saying, Coach Todd, that's Todd Abernathy, who's an, an assistant coach, of course, played at Ole Miss, and uh, and Dusty May as a now former basketball coach. When you watch the style that FAU plays, what stands out for you?
5: Um. He has freedom. He they actually play the same way we played when I was coaching North Pike when I had a lot. You know, I didn't I I didn't tie him down. I told him he was a pit bull, and I was going to let him off the leash and let him loose. And that's when he when he has the freedom to be because his basketball IQ is high. Uh, When he has the freedom to be able to play the way he wants to play, it's it's just awesome. He's unstoppable. And like I said, he played within the system. We ran plays at certain times. We did what we needed to do. And he fell in love with it and realized FAU kind of was similar to the way that we ran our offense and the way we did things at North Pike. So that was one of the big things, another big thing that kind of sold him on it.
3: So, so Coach, when you look at the games that they've played in the NCAA tournament, first against Memphis, didn't have a great shooting night, but he was in double figures 14 points against FDU, but over the last two games, really efficient in terms of shooting the ball. Nine points on three of six against Tennessee, but then against Kansas State. He's coming off a 6 of 11 performance. He hits three threes. He goes for 17. Is the Kansas State game the one that stands out for you in terms of what Elijah's done in the tournament?
5: Yes, I like the Kansas State game and I like the Tennessee game because he, he doesn't back down. You know, you look at Tennessee, man, they were huge. And, and that's something he, he talked to me about. He was like, Coach, you know, they big. This, this, and this. I just told him we kind of, you know, agreed. Like, at the end of the day, you got to get on the court and play the game, no matter how big you are. So, and he had the, the don't back, never back down attitude. So, we knew he wasn't going to back down from any other guys. But the Kansas State game, man, it, 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 it's – look, I'm I'm just amazed. I'm going to tell you, it, I'm, I'm, alone. <laughs> I'm so excited for him. Um, and every time we speak and talk and text, he can tell. I tell him I'm proud of him. But that Kansas State game, he just hit some big clutch shots. And, mm-hmm. man, when he dunked on that kid at the beginning of the game, I knew then I said, uh-oh, they're in trouble. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's been a heck of a run. We were talking about this yesterday. When you get in the NCAA tournament, if you're going to get to the Final Four, and I don't care whether we're talking about FAU or North Carolina, you, you got to have some good fortune, right? You got to have some bounces go your way. They That's survive right. with the close win against Memphis, uh-huh. and then they get a sixteen seed. I mean, instead of playing Purdue trying to get to the Sweet Sixteen, they're playing Fairleigh Dickinson. They don't have to apologize to anybody for that, but it's a <laughs> heck of a piece of fortune. And now you look up and they're into the third weekend of the tournament.
5: Exactly, exactly. And I told them, I said, "Look, you go. You got to play who, who's in front of you. At the end of the day, FDU." They go was to beat you all, but you all beat them. So you got to play who's in front of you, and and it, it, you got to take each game, one game at a time. You know, don't look ahead, one game at a time. So, and that's what he said they doing. They focusing on one team, one opponent, one game at a time, and that's how they've been able to capitalize. Uh, definitely the game against Memphis, man. I, 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 he had some uh, nice tip ins toward that. That was a huge tip in he had with about a minute left, uh, yeah. uh, fifty seconds left. Um, he didn't have a great shooting night, but he still did a lot of other things that I told him I was proud of, you know, playing defense, grabbing rebounds, running the floor, doing everything, all those intangibles. So he had to have some, the ball to bounce their way at times. But, hey, you need that. I think you need a little look to make a long run in, the, in this tournament.
3: There's no question about it. Any chance you're making a uh, a road trip to Houston, Texas this weekend?
5: Um, actually, I'm going out there to Houston, but I'm not going to the game. I told Elijah uh, about me playing ball all the years I played and coaching. I'm very superstitious. I, I, his mom wanted me to come to New York. I didn't go because I was like, you know what, they've been winning. I said, if they make it to the Elite Eight, I guess I'll try to come to the game. They made it to the lead Eight. I said, you know what, I didn't go to the game. I've been yelling at the TV. So I think I'm going to continue yelling at the TV, even in the hotel room in Houston. I am going to go where I can visit with them, hopefully after the win Saturday. But, I don't plan on stepping foot in the Coach. arena because I I, I I I want him to win so bad and and even when I talked, I told him I said, Man, much as I want to be there for you and see, I'm, I'm I'm just I'm nervous about it. If I step in there in that gym i am a jinx.
3: <laughs> I appreciate the superstition, but I mean we're talking about the final four. You can't go to Houston but not go inside the building. You can't do that.
5: <laughs> I know man and and, and and my wife is on me, too, so there ain't no telling where. They make this championship game, I'm pretty sure I'd be in there.
3: <laughs> well, i uh, it's an incredible story. I know Elijah's a, uh, a great young man, and you played a big role in his life. Hey, can't tell you how much I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us this afternoon to, uh, to talk about your relationship with him and what a cool journey this has been.
5: Yes, sir, man. I appreciate you for having me on.
3: All right. Have a great afternoon. Principal now North, at uh, North Pike High School. He was Elijah Martin's head coach at uh, at North Pike in Summit, Mississippi. Can you believe that? He's going to Houston for the Final Four, but he said because of as much basketball as I've played and coached, I'm superstitious and I'm not going to the game.
2: You have to respect
3: that. That's, I mean, that, that's a man that's locked in. He's locked in. Yeah, that's... I guess I feel like that's doing your part. You know, you, you can't dribble it, you can't shoot it, you can't coach it, but you, you everybody's got to do their part. What a fun conversation. Thanks to uh, Coach Anderson from North Pike for joining us. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back.
0: Sports Talk. Sports Talk Mississippi. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Terrell Anderson, the now assistant principal at North Pike High School, formerly the head coach that um, coached Elijah Martin, who was a star there, a dandy dozen, He's going on to be a star at uh, FAU. What a what a neat story! And and clearly, Coach Anderson, now assistant principal Anderson influential in Elijah Martin's life. It's neat to hear him talk about how often they talk and text and the fact that his mother is um, still very encouraging in that relationship and invited him to New York, but from a superstition standpoint, he decided not to go to New York, but now he's going to Houston, but he's not going to go to the game. I'm having trouble with that one. I, I agree. Hey, Dad, I, I completely agree with you. I, I respect the commitment.
2: That's locked in. That's that's. I'm going to do what I got to do. You know, I, I I'm going to put myself, put the team above my own personal gains. That 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 that's a winner.
3: I think you got to set the superstition aside and go to the game.
2: I would. I, I agree with him. Let's let's wait this one out and then go to the national championship. But gosh, no, the pressure no, no, on no, that. No, one. No, no, just, no, no, I mean, no, 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 no,
3: no, no. No, you can't do that. I mean, you if you go, go to, that to Houston and you don't go to the semifinal game, and they win to get to the title game,
2: nah.
3: this is where you got to break the 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 trend. You got to go to the semifinal game
2: nah.
3: and say, "Man, you've earned it. You've made it to the final four. I want to watch you play on this stage." And if you're fortunate enough to watch him win, then you get to watch him play for a national championship. How you coached in high school. But in the event that they don't win, you got to watch him play on college basketball's biggest stage. Got to go to the game. Yeah. That's just me, though. I'm not. I'm not sure Coach Andrews is going to be swayed. So, nah, anyway. nah,
2: He's he's locked into his is what he's doing.
3: Hey, uh, and appreciate you for uh, for getting that set up. I know you scrambled around and were able to get a uh, get a phone number and get that uh, lined up. Had, good work.
2: I had to do a lot work. of googling. Yeah. Thank yeah. you.
3: Yeah. Well. Great, it was a great idea and uh, and great execution there. Um, Borky, we we've got some audio clips. Where do we want do we, do? we want to start with Zach Arnett?
4: I was prepared to start with uh, Jackson Dart, so Give me one second. Just stall as best we, you can. Well, no, we can do that. Well, you we we know, right. it's
3: Darts too long. So, oh, okay. So we're we're going full segment with uh, with Jackson Dart. Um, spring practice happening in Starkville. Spring ha- practice happening in Oxford, obviously, in uh, both of those places. And so we're getting a chance to uh, hear from some players, hear from some coaches. Hey, Ned, you talked with Zach Arnett. How long is this, Borky? About four minutes. Okay. All right. So we got time to, uh, time to set this up. So, hey, Ned, you, you talked Saturday afternoon with Zach Arnett after, uh, after practice they had last week. What was your overwhelming yeah. takeaway?
2: The difference in his personality from defensive coordinator Zach Arnett to head coach Zach Arnett, just just a little happier now for some reason, a little, a little less gruff, a little less grizzled exterior.
3: All right, let's uh, let's see if we can hear that in uh, in these clips. Mississippi State head coach Zach Arnett as spring ball is ongoing in Starkville
0: his first question: Just your thoughts on pro day and, and getting watching some of your guys—that you know, a lot of defensive guys out there that you coached for three years—and to see them reach that that level. Of yeah, career. kind of
1: kind of bittersweet. You know, a lot of guys who uh, developed really good relationships with and were really good players for us the last several years, and you know, you enjoy watching them go out and fulfill their dream of. Working out for the pros and look forward to their future here in the next coming weeks of the draft and everything. But kind of sad that they're not going to be lined up in maroon and white, you know. And then we come out and practice and we didn't all we didn't look too good. And uh, man, you wish you had a few of those guys back. <laughs> so, but happy for those guys. That was a great performance today does it
6: help having guys like, you know, Jackie and, and Jalen, guys that, you know, came from the portal and had, you know, pretty immediate success? How much does that kind of help when you're making the pitch to, you know, players in the portal moving
5: forward?
1: I think that makes it, uh, yeah, you got some evidence right there of, you got a plan in place for guys when, you, you know, you recruit them out of the portal and, uh, kind of speaks to what you hope is the, uh, i trying to—I don't want to say—ease of learning the defense because obviously you hope you got some complexity to what you do, but that you have the ability to coach them, get them up to speed quickly, and get them on the field because that's you know when usually when guys are transferring, right, they don't have time to sit around for a year and lose a year learning a the system. They want to get them get on the field and play. So,
0: what's kind of your thoughts on Saturday being the first spring scrimmage? What's What's kind of your schedule with that, or just normal scrimmage? Or well,
1: we're still—we're still putting that together. We'll see what the practice—you uh, know—we'll watch it today's practice and see how Thursday goes and we'll finalize how many reps we need to get particularly for the guys who uh you know some guys you know they're proven players you don't need to give them a bunch of reps spring's all about development other guys we got a lot of guys who we gotta we gotta develop them as players you gotta evaluate them to whether you gotta make decisions whether you think they're good enough to help you or not you know and uh, so I'm sure we'll be on the field and get quite a few reps in but at the end of the day you know you, you got all these drills you do different tempos thud tag off blah blah you know, the most most valuable film towards evaluation is playing real football. I mean, you can live tackle, cut. I mean, guys go make plays on the ball. Some guys make plays, some guys don't. So uh, these three scrimmages, opportunities we get in the spring are huge. Thoughts about
0: the running game and uh, how it's coming together, it maybe a little bit different than in the past. But you got some veterans in the rooms and new guys. How's that? has that position coming together?
1: Yeah, we got we always got talented running backs. We got big offensive linemen. Uh, I think we got. Quite a few coaches on the offensive side who know how to scheme up and devise a run game to to crease the defense and create scenes for the running back, and so uh, I've enjoyed watching the different ways they're attacking us. I, I you know, selfishly I kind of I'm kind of enjoying it because there's some certain guys on here I've uh, been on the uh, defeating end of their rushing attacks before, so I'm kind of getting to we're getting a chance on defense to tinker around and maybe try to do some things differently to help uh, make us better. When you talk about you know spring being a time for development. How have you seen, you know, some of the younger guys that would be freshmen sophomores, can come in with an intensity in this spring? The early enrollees? Yeah. Yeah, I mean I, you know, guys could be going through their senior year of high school year, probably getting ready for prom right now instead they're in spring practice and some days they look like they're excited to be here and glad they early enrolled and some days they do look like they wish they were getting ready for prom instead. <laughs> and so uh, it's funny anytime you get a chance to work with those guys and, and get a jump on on their development. You know you feel lucky as a coach and so I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the early enrollees. a couple guys have flashed more than others but uh, you know the biggest thing is getting them in the weight room getting the nutrition and just seeing how their bodies develop you do not you don't want to be lined up in this league with a whole bunch of true freshmen playing for you you know I and mean, the man of Forbes done and a bunch of man of Forbes just falling off the trees right they're kind of special when they come in and they're freshman all americans and so uh but you get a chance to develop those guys and start their start their development earlier it's always fun
0: you got a lot of returners on defense especially up front we talked about safeties and trying to find roles there but uh one particular battle kind of interesting big shoes to fill with iris wheat uh, what have you seen from john lewis and jp purvis there
1: same thing you know one day one guy might might do a little more than the other be more productive uh i think both guys are taking the right approach they're they're playing plenty physical. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't think we have a guy with quite the savvy of Tyrus. You know, situational awareness, maybe just good a feel and coverage that he had. But I like the way we're working. But at the same time, you know, I probably tell that group every day, I got no problem playing around with a four-two-five and getting an extra D lineman on the field. I, I kind of like to tinker on defense, and Coach Brock does too. So we're gonna figure out who the best eleven are and play those guys.
3: That was Zach Arnett after yesterday's practice. Did you see it? Huh? He's smiling. He's telling jokes. Different guy. Yeah, he he appeared to be lighter. Yeah, I don't mean, like like on the you. scale. I mean, it like he he looks
2: comfortable. Sounds comfortable. So let me tell you, Saturday we're at, we're down there waiting on him. And, you know, it's a Saturday, so you've got some recruits on campus, right? So he's he's taking his time. He's talking to the recruits. He gets over to us. He's like, sorry, I'm sorry to make you guys wait. You know, you guys don't like you could score many touchdowns for us, though. And I just looked at him, and I was like, well, you don't, you don't know that for a fact. And he looks at me, and he says, you know, sometimes I do like to judge a book by its cover. <laughs> 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 I was like, you got me on that one. You got me on that one, yeah. So yeah, I I like this guy. I like Zach Arnett. I like I like that. He, you know, he feels more like a head coach now. That you know, he's out there sort of glad handing it and talking to everybody, and you know. But at the same time, I know that intensity and that that fire in him is. I know it's in there, so I'm not worried about that.
3: So you said tonight on Thunder and Lightning, you're going to have Matt Brock. Matt Brock on Matt defensive Brock, who's yeah. who's the defensive coordinator. I thought I picked up on something in that interview. Or mm-hmm. that, that post-prac- post-practice press post press scrum. Yeah. Uh, I know Matt Brock's the defensive coordinator. I don't think Zach Arnett's going to get far from being involved with the defense, the game plan for the defense, the style that they play, sure. how they go about it. It just feels like he was saying without saying, yeah, we're, we're – Gonna scheme some things up and tinker.
2: I remember when we had him on, we I asked him about, you know, are you gonna have any hand in the offensive side and he was like, Absolutely not. So I mean, he's gotta find something to do. Yeah.
3: He can't just hang out with donors every day during practice. Yeah. Gotta to, got to do something. Exactly. Yeah. Gotta do something. That's Zach Arnett, head football coach at Mississippi State, after pro day, after practice, yesterday in Starkville. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll wrap up the 4 o'clock hour with you next.
0: The best. best. Sports Talk in the state. It's
5: the best thing.
0: Say that again.
5: We the best on three. One, two, three. We the best.
0: Sports Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi we
3: Four Stock Mississippi brought to you in part by Genteel Apparel. You can find them online at genteelapparel.com or you can find a men's clothing specialty store all across the state of Mississippi and the southeast that carries Genteel, like Harry Meyer Clothing in Meridian, Landry's in Oxford, SF Allman in Gulfport, Smith & Company in Greenwood, or Steve's on the Square in Philadelphia. The new spring collection is in. And it is fantastic. Some uh, some new color palettes, new stripes, a couple of new materials, all in the same great-looking, great-feeling shirts. You've also got pullovers, and their shorts, which i got a pair of them on today, are absolutely fantastic. Give them a try online at Genteel Apparel. Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. Um, jump at Zach Arnett just a second ago. Kind of got off in the weeds on some of those questions because, you know, you're you're working on different stories and you want to ask about position groups. Borky, hey, Dad, either one of you, is there anything that Zach Arnett said that kind of stood out for you, other than the fact that I feel like football coaches make too big a deal about prom? I don't know that prom was that big of a deal, but every football coach that has ever talked about an early enrollee says,
4: it's a guy that's supposed to be getting ready for prom right now. Man, my prom ruled. I had a great, well, the after prom part. The prom itself kind of sucked, but like the before and the after, I had a great time. Those guys are missing out. Okay. They do it like we did anyway. It was fun. It was fine. I'm just like, whatever. The actual prom sucks, but the, the before and after, we, yeah, we killed it.
3: Hey, have you got any prom memories you want to share?
4: No. Done.
3: Did you wear a Dumb and Dumber so, style tuxedo, like one of the I big puffy blue? You, you should have and and worn the 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 ruffled shirt.
2: I didn't. So.
4: Okay. Well, I fine. would love to wear one of those one time. Like I've been to a, a handful of think, horse races in my life.
2: If we ever get nominated for an award, Borky, I'll I'll go Dumb and Dumber with you.
4: Which well, well, the thing is for, for a. Not all of them, but a lot of those awards, we have to pay somebody to get them. So unless you're ponying up the dough, buddy, we're going to have no, our I'm, shelves I'm not, empty. Not doing that. Um, no. But yeah, if we do, I'm down. I'm so down. Like I, I've been to the Carolina Cup a few times. I've been to steeplechase. And I never went that far with the outfit, and I regret that.
3: That's right. You had the Madras plaid blazer that you wore to steeplechase oh, in Oh, yeah, right
4: man. And some some sky blue pants. I was looking good that day. It was a great look. Appreciate the self esteem, buddy. If you can't look at the outfit that I had on at Steeplechase and think that that's not a good look, that is a you problem. That is not a me problem.
3: So, hey, Dad, was there anything that stood out about what Zach Barnett <laughs> said to you? No,
2: that, and he mentioned it on Saturday as well. The thought of they might go from three three five to four two five. You know, I thought I always thought he was sort of like leech. In terms mm-hmm. of, I'm, this is my system and I'm going to stick with it. Maybe there's some flexibility there that I that I did not count on.
4: Yeah, well, that, it is interesting, isn't it? I mean, when you get to the position you're in, running the defense that you do, you change it once you get there. That's interesting. Well, but do you think that was
3: really an indication, or do you think that was him just saying, you know, I kind of like some of our defensive linemen?
2: Well, I mean, I'll have to wait until until September to see. But I mean, I, Arnett doesn't strike me as the type of guy who just throws stuff out there for us to listen to. Uh, if he's if he's talking about that, he must be thinking about it.
3: Yeah, which three three five—that's the the Rocky Long system. That's kind of what Zach Arnett played in, grew up with, uh, and when I say grew up with, I mean like grew up in the coaching ranks with, and is brought to Mississippi State with a great deal of success. Um, what what do you think the do you think it would be personnel based? Does that mean he thinks they well, might I mean, have more depth on the defensive line than at linebacker? And so, are you going to go the four-two-five route, or do you think it's about trying to get more pressure, or what?
2: I, I don't know about the personnel because you know, with losing Tyrus Wheat, if, if John Lewis or JP Purvis or, or whoever, you know, they move Ty Cooper out of that spot to play tight end this spring, I don't know if he'll stay there or not. So. They're trying to find somebody there and, and you know what kind of player Tyrus Wheat was last year he was mm-hmm. really good for Mississippi State and if they feel like they're better off, you know hey let's put an extra D lineman in there and and, and, and instead of a linebacker that's what they I guess that's what they're going to do. I think I feel like they've got the depth on the d line to do that if they
3: need to. Yeah we will uh, we will see five and a half months. is that about right? April May, every day. June, July, August. Five months.
2: Five months. Five yeah, months. This, this week? Five months from now.
3: It's gonna
4: go by Lords. quick. Well, you know, maybe not, unless our baseball teams can get their Maybe nobody. If the baseball teams were
2: better, it would go by quick. Mm.
4: We we've had two straight years of having a team play on the final day of baseball season. Yes, That's I'm spoiled that there again.
3: Sure. I, I am. I am for that. Once again, um, we always go to the SEC baseball tournament as well. I. I just. I had like a fleeting thought today. Like, it, it, don't don't mess that up. Let's 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 shift this thing into gear. Let's shift it into gear. We'll be back. Seven point three.
0: Sports Talk Mississippi on the Super Talk app, your local Super Talk station, and at supertalk.fm.
3: Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you in part by M-Trade Park. You can find their website online at mtradepark.com. Go there to the schedule page and see all of the upcoming events that they have got. This weekend, it's a U-Triple-S-A baseball tournament. Then in April, first weekend in April, April Ambush. That's actually this weekend, April 1st and April 2nd, Saturday and Sunday. The following weekend, a U-Triple-S-A fast-pitch tournament. Mid-April, you've got SA baseball, so baseball, soccer, and fast pitch all happening at M-Trade Park. It's a facility that is unmatched in Mississippi. Fourteen full synthetic turf infields, all with natural grass outfields. Playing surfaces are absolutely perfect, and the soccer—I mean, it looks like putting greens. Like the, the soccer fields look like putting greens. And, uh, they are absolutely spectacular. Find the full schedule of events online at mtradepark.com. And remember, if you're going to play, play mtrade. You can be a part of the conversation with us on the Seaspire text line at 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from Seaspire Business, backed by world-class IT professionals who live where you do. That's right here in Seaspire country. Check them out online at seaspire.com slash business. It is time right now for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Time is running out for truck month. Great inventory, great selections, great opportunity for you to get behind the wheel of an F Series truck. Forty six straight years. F Series has been the best selling truck in America. Alongside Michael Borkey and Brian Haydad, I'm Richard Cross. Let's talk quarterbacks. Um there is a reasonably significant amount of unknown at quarterback yeah. in the SEC going into the 2023 season. So there's some layers to what I would love for us to talk about. And and ultimately where I would like for us to get is who's got a dude? What do I mean when I'm talking about a dude? I'm talking about a guy who has the ability to elevate everyone around him And carry a team. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Dak Prescott, Matt Corral, Eli Manning, Bryce Young very recently. Those type guys. Do we have any of those in the SEC this year? Maybe a couple. And then on top of that, do we have any that we don't know about right now who might emerge into that, to be in a dude. No real particular order here. I guess let's go east-west. Florida, Anthony Richardson is gone. Who's going to be the starter? Their quarterback Look, room is terrifying. I mean, Graham Mertz is probably if you're a Florida the fan.
4: favorite to win the job. And he stunk at Wisconsin. Wisconsin. And the other option is Jack Miller. Well, there was that one game. There was the one game. And then the other option is Jack Miller, who uh, I know, you know, it was his first start, all that. Uh, Not pretty. Not good. Let's just put it this way. He's not the next Joe Burrow transferring from Ohio State to the SEC and becoming a superstar. At least not yet. Oh, that ain't happening. Wow.
2: If your question is, "Is there a dude on that roster?"
3: Uh-uh. No, no, no. We're not no. to the dude. We're not to the dudes portion of it yet. Let's just talk about who the, okay. the quarterback is likely to be. Okay. At Georgia, we don't know. I mean, Carson Beck is the odds-on favorite to win the job. You got Brock Vandegrift, who's a former five-star that's kind of in the running. They got another young five-star quarterback that's kind of in the mix, but kind of thought to be the distant third in the race. Based on what we saw in the championship game, it looks like Carson Beck is ready to take on that role. So we'll see. But we don't know for sure because Stetson Bennett's gone. Missouri has a returning starter in Brady Cook. And Cook wasn't bad. He he was fine at Missouri last year. Completed 65%, 2,700 yards, Fourteen touchdowns, seven interceptions, led them to a bowl game. Brady Cook doesn't necessarily scare you, but that's their guy. Spencer
4: Rattler. He is, to me, the biggest X-factor in the SEC. The I mean, the, the single... I, I know everybody is just going to talk about Georgia and stuff, but I, I want to get away from the two obvious favorites in the league it's Spencer he's the most fascinating player in the SEC in terms of if he reaches his potential at a more consistent basis that team can cause some ruckus but Satterfield's gone but but first he was only that really twice it happened to be the last two games couple, of the season, which he was unbelievable against Tennessee and really, 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 really good against Clemson. You know the talent's there, but Satterfield's gone. And do you know who they replaced him with? Dowell Loggins. You ever heard of that guy? Yes. He was the Titans coach at Arkansas, but do you know what he was up to before Arkansas? He had three separate NFL, stints as the worst offensive coordinator in the NFL at three different places under Adam Gase. His offense in Chicago averaged 16 points per game. Mm. That is who Shane Beamer replaced Satterfield with. And the NFL is different than college. Nick Saban failed in the NFL. It happens. But, man, it makes me wonder... If somehow he's good, and somehow Rattler's good and consistent, South Carolina is going to beat people and, and stir stuff up in the SEC this year. They are. 66%
3: 3,000 yards, 18 touchdowns, 12 picks. But the second half of the year was where Rattler was better, and those two games at the end he was really good against Tennessee and Clemson.
4: He looked like the future number one overall pick that everybody said he was going to be for three years, but just in two games. Yeah. Is there any doubt for you guys that Joe Milton
3: is going to be the starter on Rocky Top?
4: Doesn't Ah, sound like anybody up there thinks there's a doubt.
3: Last year, Milton threw for 971 yards and 10 touchdowns with no interceptions. Remember, he struggled at Michigan early in his career, transferred in, opening day starter, not good for Tennessee. And ultimately lost his job to Hinton Hooker. Turned out to be a really good decision for Tennessee. I give Joe Milton a lot of credit for staying put, though.
4: Yeah. And
3: it would have been really easy for him to move on to a place where he thought he could start, but he didn't, and it appears as if he has earned the opportunity.
4: He's got the strongest arm in the SEC. And it looks effortless. It does. It's it, a flick of the wrist. It's just, can he control it? That's it. Can he control it? Returning starter at Vanderbilt and A.J. Swan. Good player.
3: Ty Simpson or Jalen Milrow at Alabama? My guess is Ty Simpson Simpson. when it's all said and done. Yeah. Did you know that Ty Simpson was the son of UT Martin's head coach, Jason Simpson?
2: Did you know that Jason Simpson played at Mississippi State?
3: Small world, hey, Dad. Small world. K.J. Jefferson back at Arkansas. Robbie and Ashford. Now we, we've
2: we finally mentioned a potential dude.
3: Robbie Ashford probably at Auburn. Jaden Daniels at LSU. Like
2: got to figure that Auburn is going to really try to get somebody in the portal coming out of spring. I mean, I just can't see them going into the season with Robbie Ashford.
3: He did some good things. He got better. He did, but
2: gosh! I mean, he's just such a limited passer, and with what Freeze likes to do offensively, I can't, I can't see it.
3: Jaden Daniels at LSU, Will Rogers Potential at Mississippi do. State. Seems like, and and we'll hear from him in just a little bit. Jackson Dart at Ole Miss; he's the returning starter.
4: As we mentioned yesterday, there, there's no competition if one of the two guys can't practice. You, there's no quarterback competition if only one guy's competing in said competition at the moment.
3: Connor Wegman at Texas A&M. I think he's, he's going to be good better. Be special.
4: He's, he's got some talent.
0: He's
4: got no a question a about that. Talent. What's Arkansas yeah. going to do? I mean, Jefferson, it, will he be protected better? Will changes on offense come to protect him better? there's only new so offense. much new offense and so maybe that helps but you can't expect him with how they how they've used him to be healthy for a full season can't do it he takes too many hits he is a large man supremely talented
0: yeah got protect.
3: All right so when we come back let's kind of look at this list of the of the known quantities which of these quarterbacks can elevate their team kind of all by themselves we'll do that next sports talk mississippi action
0: happening in mississippi sports you'll hear about it first right here sports talk mississippi
3: Up, Mississippi with you thanks for joining us on this Wednesday afternoon middle of the week plenty going on to tell you about we are going to be in Philadelphia on Friday we'll be at the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club for their grand reopening and uh, look forward to be there if you're in the area come on and see us love to uh, love to see you. We come to you every day from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Also, next week, join the entire Super Talk Mississippi team at Sally Kate Winters Family Services in West Point. That's next Tuesday, starting at 6 a.m. and going until 6 p.m. as we promote Child Abuse Awareness Month. You'll hear stories throughout the day about the organization, and uh, you can make donations that make a difference in the lives of children that need those services. Also, don't forget your chance to win Morgan Wallen tickets uh, through Supertalk, Mississippi. You can register to win at places like the Atrium Mini Mall and Meridian, Scruggs Lawn and Garden in Tupelo, or at Weather's Auto Supply in Corinth and many other locations for the full list of locations that you can register to win. Go to supertalk.fm slash Morgan Wallen. It's all brought to you by First South Farm Credit, King's Daughters Medical Center, Jumpstart Test Prep, and a Toyota of Brookhaven. So we're talking quarterbacks in the SEC, kind of ran through the list of who is either in the running to be a starter or a returning starter. And so let's, let's take this conversation to the next level in terms of guys that can elevate everyone around them and who have the ability to kind of put a team on its back. Hey, Dad. You stopped me when we were going through the list a second ago when we got to KJ Jefferson in Arkansas. You heard what Borky yeah. said a second ago about the need to protect him better. Why is KJ Jefferson that guy for you?
2: I feel like you talk about a guy who can elevate. He has that 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 ability. You know, I don't think Arkansas was. I mean, even you know, two years ago when they won what nine games. KJ Jefferson is the reason that they did that for the most part. He, he he leads them. He's their leader. They all rallied to him. His ability to to get tough yards running the ball, but he's a he's a he's improved as a passer throughout his career. I just I feel like whatever Arkansas gets this year is going to come off of the back of, of KJ Jefferson.
3: It's an Arkansas team that had issues defensively. And may very well still. New offensive coordinator. Is he good enough as a quarterback to overcome all of those things? Got Rocket Sanders with him in the backfield.
2: That helps. I mean, I feel like Arkansas teams are going to be able to run the football with Sam Pittman there. It's just, you know, what can they do passing? You know, and obviously took a step back last year when you lose Traylon Burks. But... Mm-hmm. I think offensively they'll be okay if, if as Borky said, if they can protect him, they got they got to do a better job of that because I mean as tough as he is and he's tougher than shoe leather, there's only so many hits a man could take.
4: Enos, there by the way, familiar name, um, back at Arkansas, back at at Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, is it fair to say that? None of the returning starters in the SEC have proven they can truly put a team on their back and make them, elevate them to the point where they're competing with everybody on their schedule?
2: You could almost maybe say it with Jaden Daniels, just because I mean, did t- I don't West. think that team was good enough to win the West last year, and they did. And there were a couple of games where he was the reason they won those games. But to answer, going back to Richard's example, is there a Tim Tebow or a Bryce Young? Or uh, uh, a Joe Burrow in this quarterback group, if there is, we don't know who they are yet. Yeah, you know, if, if there, if if it is, it's somebody like Ty Simpson, it's somebody like uh, Connor Wiegman. it's somebody that we haven't seen enough of to to make that that assumption yet, because there's certainly not anybody as it sits today.
4: Dart's ceiling is really really high. He's just not. He, he uh, from what we've seen, he's not close to it yet. But the, the the ability to be that guy, the, the raw ability is there. But until you see him do it, then.
3: Yeah, you know. I would say physical tools are there, right? I mean, right. arm strength is there, can make all the throws. And Athleticism, the ability there. to make plays with his feet, it's there. Decision making and recognition of what defenses are doing and how to attack them and how to not miss reads. I think that's probably the next step. For the next couple of steps for Jackson Dart yeah. in his development. What about Will Rogers? The numbers are off the charts, but the numbers are, at least in large part, a result of the offense in which he was running. It was an offense that was quarterback-friendly, and it was stat-sheet-friendly. And that's not a knock on what Mike Leach did. It's just the truth about his offense. You look at the history of his quarterbacks, they all put up big numbers in the passing game. Every single one of them. Will Rogers, no exception. But it appears as if Will Rogers is, based on the limited stuff that I've heard from Mississippi State's practices so far, doing just fine picking up a new offense. You would expect that to be a case. Uh, the case. He's a smart quarterback. He's the son of a coach. He's been around the program for a long time. He's been around college football. He's seen just about everything that defenses can throw at you. So what's the next step, hey dad, for, for Will Rogers? Can, can he take it to a place? Does his talent allow him to take it to a place where he carries a football team?
2: I'm going to find out pretty early, I would imagine, in that one because this offense is going to rely a little bit heavier on the deep passing game, on the vertical passing game, and Rogers is either going to be able to do it or not. And if he's not, then you know I don't know what Mississippi State's going to be able to do offensively this year. I feel like they'll be kind of limited. Um, so you know we we'll have to see is Rogers that guy right now? Is Rogers the guy? Is Rogers a Dak Prescott that I can just say go win the game? I, I would say no to that right this second. But he's definitely won games, and he's had big games, and he's had you know good games where he was the reason State won. But can, he, can you just put the ball in his hands and say, you've got it, especially in a new offense? I, I say that as we sit here today in March, he, the answer would be no.
4: Feels like he's a – some people might take exception to this, but – that's how I feel, so so be it. It feels like he's a high-floor, low-ceiling quarterback. You're not going to lose football games because of Will Rogers. Not going to happen. At least I don't think. It's accurate, smart, good leader, all that. You're not going to look at Mississippi State this year and say, you know, they're just really bad at quarterback. That's their issue. They just aren't good at quarterback. It's... The high end. It's the, like if they play Alabama, when they play Alabama again, and and they struggle to score, and that's where you're going to start wondering how high is the ceiling here. That's what we've seen. We've seen a really, really, really high floor and a really low ceiling. They're very close to each other. Confident, smart, good leader, capable, Limited. And then there's Texas A&M.
3: Jimbo Fisher brings in Bobby Petrino to run his offense. And yet last week in his first news conference since hiring Bobby Petrino, he refused to admit that Petrino could implement schematic upgrades within an offense that ranked among the SEC's worst last season. That's what Blake Toppenmeyer writes. He went on to say, it's not scheme, It's execution. And then he doubled down on his statement about it not being scheme when he says everybody does the same thing. There's not a hill of beans between anybody as far as what goes on.
4: Wow. (laughs) It's all my players' fault. I'm sure the locker room loves that. I mean... You bring in
3: Bobby Petrino and you've got a supremely talented quarterback that is young in Connor Wegman and you look at the track record that Petrino has in calling plays, developing quarterbacks and putting points on the board. And that that that's what you lead with? It's not scheme, it's execution. Well, maybe your schemes just too complicated for your guys to execute. Maybe play calling has changed and has passed you by to some degree. I, I don't know.
4: If I'm a oil way, tycoon that's writing the million-dollar checks to buy the players, I'm not real happy with the coach saying, I'm doing nothing wrong. It's all their fault. Hmm.
3: By the way, Lane Kiffin weighed in to, uh, to that story on Twitter. Everybody runs the same plays. Facepalm emoji, it's only about the players executing. And then he tags Kirby Smart in the tweet. Let's hear from one of the quarterbacks in the SEC, Jackson Dart of Ole Miss, when we come back.
0: Your all-access pass to all things sports in Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. On the Super Talk app, your local Super Talk station, and at supertalk.fm.
3: All guests on Sports Talk Mississippi. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi. I just put an extra vowel in there. Uh, Up here on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team Mississippi Farm Bureau. Not exactly a guest where we answer questions, but uh, Jackson Dart has now met with the media. I think this was yesterday. And yeah. So yesterday, after practice, met with the media. First time that he has talked with uh, reporters, uh, I guess, since the end of last season. Here is some of what he had to say yesterday. Jackson Dart. Were you expecting Coach to be as aggressive in the portal with with quarterbacks as he was? And what was your reaction kind of when when you learned that uh, Walker and Spencer would be joining the team?
6: um well obviously I knew that we needed quarterbacks. Um, I was the only scholarship quarterback on staff so usually you would like to have three or four um I just think how things just shook out just ended up being those two and um, but you now I was fully aware that you know we had to have some depth so um, I was aware that we were going to take two. Wayne says you've you've improved a lot.
4: Where, where do you think you have improved the most?
6: Um, I just think like my confidence in the system. Um, you know, I've talked to Coach Kiffin about this a lot, as well as Coach Weiss, and um, you know, you kind of look at you know how Matt was from year one to year two, and just like his comfortability in the system and how he was able to just operate things. Um, and for me, that's kind of you know what I'm striving for. I'm striving for to have like a big year like he did. And uh, so I think just my knowledge of the game, um, you know, kind of just being accustomed to this area. Um, this will be a year or two for me, so just living here and, and really finding like my group and my crowd. Um, so I'm just really comfortable with where I'm at. So I think a lot of that has um, played a tribute to my performance. Jackson, I already have one one off season and one quarterback battle, kind of already underneath your belt. What did you kind of learn from that whole experience last year? Just going into this off season, having you know the guys that they brought in behind you. Yeah, um, you know, I, I feel like I've been in a quarterback competition like every year of my a college career and um, you know this year's a little different than last year um but you know i think that that how my experience was last year with competing with luke um you know it really pushed me and it it propelled me to to this year
0: in your opinion i mean do you view this as a quarterback competition is that how you're looking at it going into the spring
6: um you know to be honest i see my i I just see myself as the starter um you know i i I had you one, and i kind of established myself Um, have year two and and kind of just getting, you know, more bonds with the guys on the team, um, being a leader. Um, so I feel like I've taken ownership of that and, you know, I'm just ready to do my job and, you know, I'm loving where I'm at right now. So, um, I just, you know, expect myself to have a great spring and keep performing the way that I'm performing and, uh, yeah, excited to help this team win.
1: Just to the, Taking that next step and improving. When you when you look back, what do you kind of take from or learn with kind of how the last month of that season and then the bowl game just kind of went? What what's something you can take from that?
6: Yeah, I think that how we ended was was disappointing, and um, you know, we started off so strong. Um, and I think that I think honestly we got a little comfortable, and I think that we just kind of let off our foot off the gas a little bit. And I think that was a big eye opening for uh, myself and, and the guys on the team that. You know, you play in the SEC and you play the best competition week in and week out. There's never a time where you can take the foot off the gas. Um, every team has just as much talent or more talent than you. And they, every team has great coaches. So, um, you know, I just didn't think that we executed the way that we should have. Um, I know that all the guys on the team, including myself, are, were disappointed. And, you know, we really want to make a big leap. We feel like we have, like, the core of our team, a lot of it coming back this next year. And uh, and we just, you know, we can't get get, up, get back out and, uh, you know, start this year off the right way and, and finish it the right way. And kind of going off that Jared Ivey was in here last week talking about, you know, basically asked the same question, saying that, you know, we put that behind us because that's behind us. But at the same time, do you use that as, you know, motivation? Where are you kind of on that spectrum as far as, you know, leaving all that that happened in the past with the way last year ended versus kind of using that to feel this year? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's there's things that you can just learn from the experiences of of us not finishing the way that we should have. Um, But you know, I I would agree with Jared. You know, you just got to put that past us. Um, A lot of us are going to have a really big opportunity for us to have a have a really good year. And you know, personally, uh, each individual or a lot of guys on our team are going to have opportunities to make big names for their for themselves. And um, I think it really helps with our coaching staff on the offensive side coming back um, and then we got Coach Golding on the defensive side I think all those are going to you know leap our performance and you know we got a lot of good guys so um, you know we're going to we learn from it but you know we put it behind us and we're ready to roll Jackson how would you describe your relationship at this point with Walker and Spencer and is it different in any way uh, yeah I mean they're, they're both great guys great competitors um, and they love the game of football um, I think that you know for me I'm still only 19 years old, um, so like a guy like Spencer, he's been a huge earpiece for me of just being able to learn from his experiences, and he's played a lot of a lot of ball. Um, and then Walker is, you know, the younger one of us, so, um, you know, kind of just teaching them, like, everything that we've experienced, and they're each super talented, so it's fun to get out there and compete. You talked about some returning pieces, and, and Jalen Knox is one of those players. He's, yeah. he's actually been here for little bit longer than you how, how would you see uh how have you seen his game grown from last off season to to now well i think the biggest thing is just his health um last year he's coming off of an injury so he wasn't all the way you know all the way there with his body so um he got to have a huge uh this off season to really get himself back in shape um you know get his little individual work with you know his wide receiver techniques and stuff like that so he's looked really good um, but I think the biggest thing for him is just health and then him just feeling confident in himself.
3: It looks like you've got a, a fantastic tight end in Caden Prescorn. Yeah. Just what, what what have been your observations, experiences with him thus far?
6: Yeah, he was a, a massive get for us. Um, I think that he's going to help tremendously in the run game and the pass game. Um, I think it's going to be super exciting when we're going to be able to play a lot in, in 12 personnel sets with him and Trig, and kind of use Trig the way that he's um, more natural to, and uh, but he's he was a tremendous pickup for us. Um, he's a really hard worker, and he was one of the top tight ends in the country last year. So I know that for him, you know, he wants to make this you know be his year, and yeah, uh, you know, I think that you know I could agree. I think everybody else on staff could agree that he was a, a huge addition for our team.
3: So that was Jackson Dart after uh, practice yesterday, meeting with the uh, the media. There at the very end, we we mentioned this yesterday. Caden Priestcorn coming in, the tight end, redshirt junior a year ago, uh, transferring in from Memphis. Had a really good season last year. Thirteen games, forty-eight catches, seven touchdowns, a little over six hundred yards. Um, Ole Miss, certainly last year and for a lot of the last two seasons, has been without any significant production from the tight end spot. It was three years ago when Kenny Yaboa transferred in, and I understand that he didn't block anybody, but he was an absolute mismatch for defenses in terms of route running. That was part of I don't what, know, I don't know what made compl- that offense good. I don't, I don't
2: know what you're complaining about. State hasn't got any production on of the tight end in three years either. I mean zero. I know.
4: I know. <laughs> Slightly different scenario. Yeah. The but, uh mentioning the two tight end sets is, is fascinating, right? Because it's not when you when you hear two, two tight end sets and you're stuck in like two thousand and five, you think that they're they're going to just line up in the I formation and just run the football down your throat, and, and they're going to run the football. But it's it's far more dynamic than that. I mean, you've bragged on Priest Corn and uh, Trigg is the the skill set. Now he's got to prove it and spent some time in the doghouse last year, on top of also being injured. Um, the the athlete though is is dynamic, so it's not mm-hmm. like they're just going to have you know the offensive lineman and then. One tight end and then one off the ball, and they're just going to run right because that's where the the, the beef is. It's uh, more creative and dynamic than that because that's that's kind of what Lane Kiffin does. So uh, Dart kind of let you know that they're doing something that you haven't seen them do in the three years that they've and, been and, there. And not two tight ends like
3: you had in high school in 1994 either where the, the offensive line was tight end, tackle, guard, center, guard, tackle, tight end.
4: Yeah, not that either.
3: That's uh, that, that's not what they're talking about. It'll be moving guys around and you'll have like a flex for trade. Tight ends with a hand in the ground and tight ends standing up and moving all over the place and in motion and um and, and doesn't it I mean how they produce is going to depend on how they're used and how much they're used together.
4: They need it for the red zone, especially. Red zone offense for Ole Miss was an atrocity last year. I mean, one of the worst in the conference and uh, near the bottom in college football. I mean, very bad at scoring touchdowns in the red zone. Uh, the lack of a tight end, any tight end, uh, that could give them productive snaps was an issue there. Having two, you would think, would really help that dynamic.
3: This is not a fair comparison because you're talking about two of the best tight ends in the country and Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. But Georgia gave you some looks where both of those guys were on the field at the same time. And they kind of did different things, right? I mean, Bowers primarily in the passing game, Darnell Washington primarily in the running game, but both with the ability to affect the passing game.
0: This is a place for crazy people. If it's sports in Mississippi, you'll hear about it here. (laughs) Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Brought to my attention on the ceasefire text line during the break that we had failed to discuss Mississippi State's win over Samford last night by a final of 9-4. to We had that in the rundown. We just kind of uh, didn't get to it with the sod conversation early on and then a couple of interviews and some college football fix that went about three segments.
2: Appreciate you not calling it sod gate.
4: Yeah, I'm not a big gate
2: guy. I think gates are overused.
4: Yes, I, I would agree. with that. We have Tarp Gate and Sod Gate. What's next up, Mike Bianca's sleeve?
2: Bianca going to leave a. He's going to leave a, a a door or something open in the stadium, and someone's going to come in and steal the bases.
3: It'll be Gate Gate.
4: <laughs>
3: yes. Um, so are we overdoing it, Mississippi State? If we uh, remind people that Thunder and Lightning is coming up next, where you might discuss a little bit of baseball as well?
2: Very true. Or, very or might true. not? Probably more big will. picture than just uh, than just uh, one game, though. All
3: right, so State wins 9-4 to four last night over Sanford. Nine runs, ten hits, two errors in the game. The starting pitcher last night for Mississippi State was Evan Ciari. Went a couple of innings, but uh, a lot of guys pitched. Uh Anetma, did I say that right? Aintema. Graham Aintema was the second pitcher used. Brock Tapper was the winning pitcher, third pitcher used in the game. Aaron Nixon went a couple of innings. Casey Hunt went a couple of innings. And uh, he ended up getting the save last night as uh, as well. So Sanford jumps out to a 2-0 lead. State answers with two runs. In the top of the fifth inning, Sanford makes it 4-2. Mississippi State took the lead in the bottom of the fifth inning and never surrendered it. With three runs there. So it was five to four and then six to four, and then some insurance at the bottom of the eighth inning with three runs to make it nine to four. Um, first of all, needed a win, got a win. That had to feel better. And Chris Lamonis had to feel better last night than he did walking away from the park at any point over the, uh, the last weekend.
2: At the bare minimum. And he, and he mentioned that. He said it's good just to have a night where we can smile and, and enjoy being in the locker room. Um, you got a stole home last night? No, that, that should have. Well, I mean, it should have been scoring error, but okay, yeah.
4: What? Um, Nothing like a good old home cooking scorekeeper. I love it. Nah, he was he was working. Three hit
3: night for Hunter Hines. Dakota Jordan in the starting lineup is the DH. He goes three for four and drives in a couple of runs. Colton Ledbetter had a couple of runs batted in last night as well. Does that earn Dakota Jordan a spot in the lineup in game one this weekend, you think?
2: We talked a little bit about that yesterday. I mean, the talent is so high. The ceiling is so high. I feel like you've got to start getting him some at-bats. So m- might see him, probably probably will see him this weekend a good bit. The stat that you haven't mentioned yet, and I don't know if you're about to get to it, is only three walks for Mississippi State's pitchers. That's, that's really the key. And from a reliever standpoint, Tapper, Nixon, and uh, Hunt, no walks. Didn't yeah. put anybody on base for free, except for Nixon, who had... Nixon has thrown three in a third innings this year. He's got four hit by pitch.
4: So, mm. You know.
2: Why walk them when you can plunk them?
3: I mean... Save you yourself a lot of you might trouble. As, might as well make him. Uh, might as well might enjoy it. it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so we did the thing last week, after talking about midweek games, about, you know, do they mean anything, do they not mean anything... What did last night mean?
2: Nothing. Okay. nothing. Yeah. Good it's good to any any positive momentum you can take, you'll take. But does it mean anything going into the series with South Carolina? Nah, eh, not really. State announced its rotation or at least two thirds of it uh, a little earlier. DeAngelo on Friday, Nate Dome, I'm sorry, on Thursday. Nate Dome on Saturday. Game 2 is TBD. I think that's going to be Bradley Lofton. Okay.
3: We will uh, we'll spend a little more time tomorrow looking ahead to the uh, the weekend series because Mississippi State starts their series tomorrow. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series in Starkville, Bulldogs in South Carolina. Mississippi State's pitching will have its hands full. South Carolina can just absolutely mash the baseball. I have not checked the NCAA staff to see if they are still leading Division One in home runs. If they're not leading it. They are near the top. And it's really a lineup that doesn't have a lot of holes in it, one through nine. So big challenge for Mississippi State this weekend, and you hope that last night is something to build on. You hope? We'll see. I'm not holding my breath. I'm not hearing just a ton of optimism from you here.
2: Uh, that, that's not. That's not. That's that's some other guy. That's not me on the podcast. That's a, that's, that's a, that's a
3: good point. You're you're, you're not exactly uh, Mister Optimist. I stick
2: with my brand.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being with us on this uh, this Wednesday afternoon. Tomorrow we will look more into Mississippi State series with South Carolina. Think David DeLucci is going to join us tomorrow afternoon. We'll be a couple of days away from the Final Four, so plenty coming your way starting at three o'clock tomorrow afternoon right here in the Pearl River Resort Studios. For Michael Borky and Brian Haydad, I'm Richard Cross. Enjoy your Wednesday night thunder and lightning coming up next.